welcome to episode 97 of Running Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hadfield, and today I have the pleasure of chatting to one of the true champions and pioneers of Australian trail running, Vlad Ixel. Uh, Vlad comes to us all the way from Perth. Uh, I'd encourage the listeners to just take a quick look at his results page on uh, vladixel.com while listening to the podcast, potentially. The, uh, the list is just too long and distinguished to, uh, to run through during the podcast. It'll take us a whole hour. But suffice to say that he's won races uh, all over the world, you know, particularly throughout Southeast Asia, uh, certainly Australia and, and, and Europe as well. He's pretty much done it all from vertical pace to 100-kilometre trail racing and then 250k stage racing also. Uh, he's he's been an incredible champion for a, for a long long time. He has a really interesting origin story, coming from uh, drinking a couple of liters worth of energy drinks, a six pack of beer, and a pack of cigarettes to being one of the world's best trail runners. Uh, so, yeah, re- really really great story. Uh, so I'm sure you'll get a lot out of that. He's he's, he's also a running coach, so plenty of incredible uh, tips and uh, and hints in that regard as well. We'll take a, a quick. Quick break to chat to Sean from Ranala and do a quick shoe review on the Salomon Ultra Glide, which is an incredible shoe and certainly worth listening to. Um, I'd just like to mention uh, our our partners over at Cronulla Beer Co. have just put out uh, their mid-strength range called the Easy Tiger, which I sampled a couple over the weekend and they are spectacular. You can grab hold of those at uh, Cronulla Beer Co.'s website and use the the promo code CBC10 to get a a discount by listening to the podcast. You can also jump into most of the pubs around uh, the Sutherland Shire, any Theros Group pubs to to sample the new range of Cronulla Beer Co. beers. Uh, I'd like to thank the rest of our partners, um, Goo Energy, Ranulla, Fractal Performance Headwear, Cronulla Beer Co., of course, Guy Me Allies Health Centre, Basecamp Altitude and Raid Light for their support. And don't forget to jump on and check out their discounts on their individual websites. All the uh, discount codes are in the show notes. So without further ado, we'll get Vlad on and uh, have a chat. Thanks, guys. Enjoy. Okay. Welcome to Running Matters Podcast, Vlad Ixil. How are you, mate? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. It's a pleasure. Uh, Congratulations on the uh, Hasten 50Ks last week, mate. It was, a, it was a nice to get a win. Yeah, I mean, it was nice to travel um, to a race. Definitely, it's nice to get back on the trails as well. Um, and yeah, winning is always the bonus, but I think that the whole journey was just incredible. It, it looked um, like it might have been a slightly longer journey than you are expecting there, mate. Yeah, one last turn, like literally turning back to the last final 5K, I went the wrong way. Um, and I got to run on some incredible trails. So I was hoping that that's the right way. Um, it was like all along the coastline, some beautiful trails, but yeah, it was the wrong way. And I got an extra 5k for free. <laughs> and still, I yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, that's, that's fantastic. And, and how, uh, how are things back in Perth, mate? Are we pretty relaxed with the COVID situation at the moment? Yeah, we've been super lucky here. Like, um, We've only maybe had like two weeks of lockdowns in the last two years. Um, So races have been going ahead. Uh, Travel is the only thing that kind of is a little bit harder. 
Um, even like flying back into Western Australia, like it took us an hour to get off the plane um, just because we had to be scanned by a police officer. But yeah, still pretty lucky on that side of, of Australia. And yeah, I've been a lot of racing, a lot of races here. So I've been racing, you know, almost every single week. So it's been, yeah, pretty lucky. Oh, mate, very, very jealous of that one coming from the Eastern States, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, how, how has someone who's travelled to so many races coped with the idea of travel, uh, racing locally during COVID? Yeah, pretty much I became a roadrunner, realistically. Like I changed all my training, um, changed pretty much everything about running and I became a proper roadrunner. I've, I've even done a couple of track races, which, you know, as a 34-year-old, pretty much doing my first ever track race um, was pretty different. Um, but yeah, I kind of adapted. Um, I'm de I definitely missed the, the travel and the trails. Um, even though we do have some trails here in Perth, it just didn't feel the same. Um, I wanted to get a fast marathon time. I thought that it might be a good time to bank in a fast marathon time before I get too old. Um, and yeah, I guess that kind of went to plan and yeah, now I'm excited about traveling again and hopefully all opens up soon. Fingers crossed, mate. And look, for, yeah. for someone, for, for an Aussie, uh, you've done, I guess, the majority of your racing over in, in Asia and, and lots of stuff in Europe. And we probably don't know enough about Vladixel, particularly over here on the eastern states of Australia. So I'm, I'm really excited to get get to know what, what happens in Vladtown and um, run through a bit of your history, that kind of stuff. Um, so just to, to fill the listeners in, born in Ukraine and moved to Israel after the split up of the Soviet bloc as a, as a real youngster and then moved over to Perth at age of 14 and then very quickly got into a quite a high level of tennis as a teenager and I believe you lived on your own in Melbourne for a year or so as a full-time tennis player not long after uh, starting the game. Yeah, that was incredible. That was like the best time of my life. Um, yeah, we moved to Australia. Um, my parents got me for my birthday some tennis lessons. Um, I had like a Kmart racket and this is at the age of 14. And, you know, the group that I was in were all like nine-year-olds and eight-year-olds um, because that was my level. Uh, but yeah, I just improved pretty quickly. You know, I was just hitting against the wall in our, in our unit and um, by the age of 15 and a half, I was playing nationals. Um, so kind of ranked, I guess, in the top 50 in Australia in under 16s. Um, yeah, I took a chance um, and moved to Melbourne to play full time while still meant to be doing like distance education. Um, but obviously that never happened and I was pretty focused on tennis. Um, I got to train full time at the Vita Tennis Academy in Melbourne, which was yeah, pretty much a dream come true for a 16-year-old, not going to school, um, kind of living on my own and playing tennis all day. Um, but yeah, I guess mentally I just wasn't like good enough to do well in, um, in tournaments, even though my game was good, like physically, um, but mentally I just wasn't there, maybe because of lack of experience. But yeah, by the time I was 17, um, that kind of dream kind of faded away. Mate, it's a it's it's a big step as a as a fifteen year old to move across you know, the entirety of Australia to chase that dream. You obviously never been scared to to chase a big dream there, Vlad. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I was just lucky because my parents were able to support me. Um, you know, I was kind of um, renting out a room 
um, for about $200 a week, which, you know, was a fair amount of money 15, 18 years ago. Um, but yeah, luckily my parents were able to pay for the tennis and for like accommodation and stuff like that and my food. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought I could make it like, you know, I thought I was improving so quickly from, you know, having a Kmart tennis racket to like, I guess a year later, a year and a half later, um, winning tournaments in junior levels, you know, I thought I could take that next step, but yeah, didn't really work out. And and then as a 17-year-old, uh, I mean, quit, quit the tennis, but this seemed to fall into a little bit of a different lifestyle from then for the next sort of six or seven years. Yeah, so I had like, um, I had scholarship offers or there was, there was a good opportunity for me to go to the US for like a five-year scholarship. And all I needed for that was year 12. Um, so I came back to Perth and I went back to school after not doing school for two years. Um, and then, yeah, as I was about to finish year 12, kind of tennis went on the side and um, that whole college idea wasn't exactly maybe what I was kind of going to go and chase. So, yeah, I went into the other extreme of, yeah, being super unhealthy. Um, it was fun, but, yeah, it was definitely kind of a different um, way of living compared to the last three years as a tennis player. Mm, yeah, for sure. And I've, I've read stories of you knocking back about two litres worth of energy drinks in the course of a day. What was your particular brand there, Vlad? Oh, Mothers, yeah. <laughs> I, I used to, yeah, I mean, literally have um, a four-pack every single day. I would just buy them, you know, five or six at a time, um, packs of four. Yeah. And that was that was kind of my student years. So that was probably not when I was 17, 18, but yeah, definitely early 20s, um, really addicted to energy drinks, caffeine in general, um, alcohol, you know, nicotine. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it was, it, I mean, it was different. I mean, I was ha happy that I'm happy that I stopped early on, but it was definitely, um, definitely a phase of my life that was a little bit unhealthy. And was there a particular catalyst to, you know, to stop that lifestyle? At, at, I think around 25 years old. Yeah, just before my 25th birthday, I just kind of, I don't know, that number 25 just felt like a quarter of my life. Um, it felt like I was not in my early 20s anymore. Um, and yeah, I just didn't want, like, obviously, I was starting to feel it as well. Like, you know, I was feeling those big um, nights of going out and stuff like that a bit more. And um, I kind of needed to feel a bit healthier, um, even though like, you know, I was, I wouldn't say like I was overweight or anything like that. I just didn't feel energized. Like I had no energy. Um, everything was like in slow-mo, you know, wake up. It would take me like a few hours to even like, you know, think straight. And yeah, it just, I was just tired, I guess, of being tired. Um, you know, from years of unhealthy living. And, and at that point, were you exercising at all or was it sort of just uni and that kind of lifestyle? It was pretty much like going to the gym probably five or six times a week, just doing bicep curls, um, you know, pointless bicep curls and bench press. Literally, that's the only two exercises that I would do because um, I thought that would, that would give me the best chance of, you know, doing well with the ladies was big biceps and um yeah so that was pretty much the, the only exercise that i did mate chicks dig it that's for sure yeah. that's for sure <laughs> and look, i believe on the just about the day you you 
quit smoking, you, you signed up for marathon number one off the back of some bicep curls and some bench press by the sound of things. Yeah, it was, it was a few days before, uh, a few days after um, that I kind of quit smoking and yeah, I thought I might just do this marathon. I went down, there was um, the beep collection. I think it was the first day of the beep collection and you can still sign up on the day. Uh, it was three days before the race or something like that. And yeah, I signed up and that was a life-changing event for me. Um, it was painful, but definitely kind of got to the point where, um, you know, finishing that marathon was just making it to the finish line and finishing something. Um, I got addicted to that feeling. And I think, I think I'm still, I'm still addicted to the feeling of that post-race finish. I'm sure that a lot of the listeners would know that kind of, you know, you finish a race in the next 24 hours, you're just like on a high, um, you know, so for me, that's what I'm still, I think I'm still addicted to that feeling. That's why I still race so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely that first marathon was a life changer. There's, yeah, there's something pretty special about that, uh, that, that the last 10 seconds coming across the line, that's for sure. You didn't yeah. uh, contemplate sort of signing up for a 10K you, straight for the marathon? Um, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I wouldn't even kind of know where my mind was at at that point. Um, I think maybe I saw it somewhere, the Perth Marathon or, yeah, I'm not even 100% sure how I kind of got into signing up to the race. Um, I did like, oh, probably three or four years before that, a Mother's Day fun run. Um, you know, I did one race in Germany probably about five years before that as well. Um, like, yeah, me and my friends were drunk. We saw a race like being set up in Germany. Um, it was actually the Morgan, Morgan, um, Morgan. Morgan Chase. Yeah, the bank. The, it was like the big one of the biggest races in the world. And yeah. we were having drinks like during lunchtime in Frankfurt. And we see this race being set up. And we were, walked over and we just asked what it is. We didn't even know it was a race at the beginning. And they said, oh, it's a copper race. And we asked if we can sign up. Um, and they said, no, nah, you have to be part of like a corporate team. But one of the guys said, come back around like five o'clock. Maybe some people from our team won't show up and we'll be able to give you a bib number. Um, so we came back a few hours later. Um, he said like all their team showed up, but then he said like try a few other teams because you might be able to get a bib. And we walked around, a few companies obviously said no. Um, but then we came to Opel and we said that one of my friends, his dad works for Holden in Australia, which obviously wasn't true. But they kind of believed it. So they gave us um, they gave us bib to that. I think it was 5K race. Um, and we got to run that race. And then at the end of the race, um, have like a big barbecue and like beers with the Opel team. And we got so many souvenirs, like, you know, it's, it's a wealthy company, obviously. So they, they gave all the workers like a bag of souvenirs and we all got that. And then later on, one of the workers came up to us and he said, we know that his dad doesn't work for Opel, but yeah, well done for finishing the race. Um, <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was a kind of a fun, a fun, yeah, I guess that was, oh, I'd like to say 2008, 2009. So yeah, probably about three or four years before, um, you know, I actually got into running. Yeah, yeah, very good. And mate, the I guess the feeling of that first one must have been pretty impressive because you signed up, I guess, within a month to do marathon number two. It didn't take you very long. Yeah, second one was yeah, a bit easier. Obviously, I knew I was coming up and I had a couple of runs before. 
Um, yeah, I signed up to that, to the city to surf a few weeks after. Um, that was a fun kind of a race, but then I kind of got home and, and I realized that, you know, marathons are going to be very similar. Mm. Um, you know, Perth marathon will be very similar to a Melbourne marathon or a city marathon. Um, so I actually Googled like the hardest running races in the world. I'm pretty sure like the same day after that marathon, um, maybe that evening. And yeah, within two or three days, I signed up to the Atacama Crossing, which was a 250k self-supported stage race at the Atacama Desert. Um, <laughs> oh, mate, that's outstanding. So you run two, two marathons in a month and then signed up for a five-day stage race. As a, as a coach now, is this the usual progression that you tell your coaching clients to follow? No, not at all. Not even close. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing, but I definitely learned quickly. So I think that um, I'm pretty good at like picking things up pretty quickly and learning really quickly um, to a certain level. And then when I get to that level, um, you know, I kind of even up with everybody else. But yeah, I kind of picked it up pretty quickly. And what I do do is do spend a lot of time researching and learning as much as I can about what I do. Um, so same with like tennis, um, you know, I became a student of the game, even though I knew nothing about the game and, you know, I'd spend every spare moment that I wasn't hitting against a tennis wall or, or playing tennis by myself at the tennis courts, um, you know, learning as much as I can about the game. So reading books about the game, um, you know, watching a lot, a lot of matches, um, studying players and stuff like that. So I did the same thing for running. Um, so very quickly I spent, you know, every single spare moment that I had learning everything around running and that kind of really helped to, to kind of, you know, kind of keep me on the right track and yeah, I guess move forward. Hmm. But yeah, I guess a lot, I guess most people would kind of just go into it and kind of expect things to happen where I did, you know, whatever I could to make it, to make it to the start line, I guess. Hmm. And what, what were some of the early sort of pearls of wisdom that you think set you on the right path and really fast-tracked your um, path to success? Um, I think early on is definitely like getting into like yoga, um, strength work. Um, I changed my diet. So that's probably about, I'd like to say, four months after signing up to the race. Um, so like my diet wasn't super healthy. I would just eat meat like three times a day, but then I kind of read somewhere that a plant-based diet could improve recovery. Um, so I gave that a try. And I think for me, that kind of made a big difference because I didn't eat any salads or fruit before that. Like, you know, I'll go to a restaurant and I'll just order the steak. I didn't even know there was anything else on the menu. Um, and, you know, I'll just literally just eat meat three times a day. So um, I think that that made a big difference in my, in my recovery, in my overall kind of energy levels. Um, yeah, I think the yoga also really helped at the beginning. Um, I used to go to like maybe four Bikram classes a week, um, which was pretty full on. And at the same time, I would kind of do my own yoga on the other days and at the same time do more strength work and stuff like that. So I think the combination of everything, I wouldn't kind of pinpoint one thing. Um, but the combination of everything. Also, I spent a lot of time kind of fixing my own running form. Um, so I'd read and learn and watch things online and then record myself and then try and see how I can fix that and clean that up. And um, yeah, I spent a lot of time 
you know, kind of improving myself as a runner without running too much more. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of people sort of hit that realisation five or ten years into their running career that they need to be doing yoga and looking at their diet and all this sort of stuff. And you're looking at it from from day one. It's it's a really interesting perspective. Um, Is it something that you push pretty hard with your coaching clients? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I'm not doing as much coaching anymore, but um, yeah, part of my kind of coaching was definitely very strength and recovery kind of base training. Obviously, it's a little bit different because a lot of that has to come, um, you know, from the person inside. And, you know, I can be the greatest coach in the world, but if the person that I'm coaching, you know, doesn't want to do 15 minutes of yoga a day, um but he really wants to improve in his marathon time you know it might not always get to that fast marathon if you're not willing to put in the boring work down the bottom so i guess that's something that over time i definitely learned when i was coaching when i was getting into it a lot more is that not everybody wants to put in the hard work and not everybody wants to focus on the little things and a lot of them you know really want to get to that three-hour marathon or 330 marathon but um don't really want to focus on changing their diet or you know looking after their sleep um so i think that that was kind of and also as a coach i had to learn how to deal with those clients because in the end of the day i still needed them to pay my bills so i just had to make the most out of um individual kind of runners that i was coaching and the ones that i did see that they were wanting to do more i would give them more but then the ones that didn't want that, they just needed some accountability, then I know that I'll give them a little bit less. Otherwise, I would pressure them to do too much and then they won't enjoy running anymore and then they'll quit. Hmm. Um, so I think that that was kind of something that took me a while, not a while, but took me a bit of time to understand that, you know, people do things for different reasons. You know, my goals for running was different. So I was willing to put in all the hard work on the little things where somebody else you know, might have this three-hour marathon goal for the next five years um, and they don't really care if they get it this year or next year or, you know, maybe it's not a big deal if they get it at all. It just sounds like a good goal to have because some of their friends have it. Um, So, yeah, and I think actually when I was a tennis coach, um, when I was like 17, 18, I learned that really quickly that a lot of kids, you know, are just there to play tennis where I was, when I was playing tennis, my only goal was to become a pro and like, you know, when that didn't happen, I quit tennis straight away because I was like, all right, well, if I'm not going to be a professional player, I'm not going to waste my time here anymore. Uh, I got to move on with my life where other people just want to play tennis for fun. And, you know, that's kind of the mentality that I never really had. But obviously, over, the, over time, I did start to see it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone's, everyone's got a different motivation for sure. Yeah. Look, on, on top of your you know, specific drive, I, I believe there's a fair bit of genetic component there to your success. Your old man was a pretty handy runner back in the day. Yeah, he was a really good runner. He wasn't far from making the Olympic teams um, in the Soviet Union. Uh, but he kind of stopped when he was um, about 20. So like back in the Soviet Union, if you were running on the streets, um, you know, in 1974, if you were running on the streets as an adult, that people look at you like you stole something, you know, it wasn't like people didn't run on the streets. Like, you know what I mean? People didn't train. Um, 
so yeah, he kind of had to stop. He got married, had kids when he was about 20. So he kind of stopped running. And then when I started running um, nine years ago, he started running as well. Um, and he does really well right now for a 65 year old. Um, we ran Paris Marathon together a few years ago at about 3.30. Um, so yeah, he definitely, I definitely got some really good genes from him. Yeah. Even though my mom is like the most unathletic person in the world. Um, so I just got a little bit from him. <laughs> <laughs> mate 330 at uh, 62 years old is moving well across the ground that's for sure mate um er early days for your uh, i guess racing career you you moved to hong kong and became one of the most prolific racers imaginable firstly why why hong kong specifically yeah i think in 2012 and 2013 trail running was still very small in australia um, especially in Western Australia, like we had two trail races for the whole year. Um, there was obviously a lot more races in the East Coast, but it was cheaper to fly, like let's say to Singapore for a race than it was to fly to Sydney for a race. Um, you know, so it was, I think I did my first 100K in Malaysia, which, you know, a trip to Kota Kinabalu would have been like $500 with accommodation and everything like that. If I wanted to do it in Sydney, it would be like $1,000. Um, so yeah, I did my first hundred K race in Malaysia, second one in Singapore again, cause it was cheaper. And then, you know, I got to know a couple of runners and they were talking about Hong Kong and how many races are there and, and all that. So I kind of wanted to give that a try. And I said, I'll go there for a couple of months and race a little bit and see, you know, how it all goes. And I ended up staying for like five years, mm -hmm. um, which was fun because there were so many races like Hong Kong is incredible. Um, yeah, there's just. You know, obviously now with COVID, there's not that many, but there was a time where there were like, you know, three or four races every single weekend. And for somebody that likes racing, like that's the place to be. Um, so yeah, that was so much fun. Like the time in Hong Kong was incredible. It was just so simple, like, um, you know, sign up to a race, do another race, do another race, do another race. Um, yeah, it was definitely fun. Yeah, we've spoken to John Ellis on the show before and just looking through the variety of racing in Hong Kong, you would never imagine that the place is just covered in trails. Like it just, I don't know, from, from my point of view, it just seemed like a big city, but uh, it's just a trail racing mecca. Yeah, I mean, like I lived pretty much right in, in central Hong Kong on Hong Kong Island and I could run from my house and get 600 metres vertical gain in the first 3K um you know straight out and then i could like you know within 3k i can be on a trail and not see anybody for the next five hours and then you know just the last 2k back home and i'll see like you know thousands of people so it's pretty insane in that sense um that the cities are just so packed but then just get a tiny bit out of the city and i'm talking about one or two k and you're on a beautiful trail that can go that goes on for like 50k mm. um and you know well marked as well and yeah, a lot of elevation. So for trail running is, is yeah, I mean, it's it's a fun, fun place for trail runners. It definitely is a bit different because of the stairs. Um, but once, if you live there, you get used to it, that all the uphills are pretty much stairs, which means that all the downhills are stairs. And probably at the beginning, it really hurts. But then once you get used to it, like, you know, it's actually quite fun. Mm. Have, uh, have the quads softened up a little bit since you've been back in Perth? Oh, absolutely. My quads, I got baby quads now, especially after the marathon running. And that's why this trail race killed my quads. And the only thing that I'm feeling today is my quads um, from the race on Sunday. 
yeah. <laughs> marathon running just like eats away all the it, it pretty much ate away all the muscles that i had in my legs like my legs just got so much skinnier from all the road running and the track running so Mate, yeah i need to build that up again stick to the trails very good answer <laughs> yeah i think it's time to get back on the trails what about uh, in terms of Hong Kong racing in general, particularly since I guess the involvement from Beijing, have you seen any changing in you know the amount of races or they cut back on that sort of stuff? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I left three years ago. So I guess when, when I left, that's when things started to change in general in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. The racing scene didn't change too much. Um, except that there was a lot more Chinese runners coming to race. Um, I think like, you know, for a long time, there was pretty much just the locals racing and the expats. Um, But definitely in the last few years while I was there, there was a lot more Chinese runners coming in, even for races without any prize money. um, I think they could get a lot more attention um, than what they would in China maybe or in, um, in Taiwan. So yeah, a lot of runners would come over and race. Um, but yeah, the last three years when I wasn't there, I'm not sure. Mm, yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I've heard you talking about having a you know, particularly addictive personality in lots of ways. I'd like to know how this relates to the idea of overtraining. Um, and, and I guess, yeah, how, how easy is it for you to have an easy week? I think it's a lot easier now since um, I lost my sponsorship Um, and since um, we had a little baby and I started my own business, it became a lot easier, even though it took a while to convince myself that I'm doing this for the right reasons and it's okay if I don't run twice a day. Um, I definitely overtrained, you know, big parts of, of, you know, the last few years and over raced. And I think that's the main reason why I never really did too well in any of the big races because you know i like racing so much that i would just train race train race and you know as long as i had the sponsorship like i was happy um and they never pressured to do well in big races they were just happy me getting attention from winning 30 races a year um you know around asia so that kind of the way i kept going um but definitely i overtrained you know you know, a lot of times, but that was for the goal of keeping my sponsorship. So I guess if I was training for different reasons, like, you know, if I had a goal to do well at one or two races a year, I would train a lot differently. Like I'll go through cycles where there'll be a 12 week buildup or a 10 week buildup and then bring it down for two or three weeks and then do the buildup again. Um, but because of me wanting to keep my sponsorship and playing it safe, you know, I just continued racing and training for the whole year. And, you know, if I wasn't racing in Hong Kong, I'll be racing, you know, overseas. But for the uh, uh, pretty much in the last nine years, I've done over 250 races. Um, so that kind of works out to be, I guess, around 30 races every single year. Yeah. Um, so I never really had a chance to really train properly for one race um, just because there's another race one or two weeks after. Yeah. Um, but it kind of worked for me and I didn't really mind. I never had the goal to like do well in one race. Um, my goal was always to keep that sponsorship because that gave me that lifestyle of, you know, traveling and, and being flexible with my working hours as a coach and um, yeah, kind of living this lifestyle, which was my main goal. 
Mate, uh, it's 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 a brilliant goal, and 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 for someone who didn't target anything particularly, you're certainly on the top step of the podium more times than not. That's for sure. Um, when you yeah, when you pick your race as well, you know, you cherry pick the races, you can do really well. <laughs> There's a hell of a lot of cherry picking. It's a long bloody list, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, what, what about in terms of injury and the overtraining bit? Um, you, you, you can't have been injured that often if you're racing that often. I've never had an injury, so like literally, I've the only time I miss days, um, uh, like running days, is because I would get a cold. Because um, I usually I would catch a flight too soon after my race, so I'll do a fifty k race in the morning, and then catch a flight in the afternoon. Um, so that I probably got a, you know, a bit sick from that, but yeah, just a flu or the cold. Um, but I've never had an injury because I always kept up, kept on top of strength work. Um, and it's never like too long. It's just like a lot of short sessions, 15 kind of minutes a day, um, every single day. So, you know, my body was kind of able to, I guess we stand all the training and racing, but yeah, I was pretty lucky to never have an injury. I don't think it's luck at all. I think it's uh, some pretty impressive management by the sound of things. Um, I've looked through a ton of your strength videos, and if anyone wants to go and have a look at uh, Vlad's YouTube channel, there's some spectacular content on there. Um, where, where do you find most runners are deficient in terms of strength specifically? I think mainly kind of mobility and, and stability. Um, I think a lot of people have very tight hips and, and ankles. And that just kind of dominoes effects to like, you know, poor running form, slower recovery, tighter muscles, injuries, um, where if you can put some time in improving the mobility in your ankles and your feet, you know, suddenly you take away the chances of getting the chance of getting injured. Um, you know, if you build a bit of strength and stability in your glutes, you know, you can push a little bit stronger. You don't have you know, your knees are not going to be sore from overcompensating. Um, it's kind of really all connected. And, you know, I don't really have any degrees um, in like, I I'm not a physiotherapist, but I get so many messages from physiotherapists um, asking me about exercises and problems that some of their clients have. And um, which for me just sounds like common sense. Um, the way I kind of look at things is just, well, if this hurts, probably means that something else kind of leads into it and you just got to get it a bit more mobile or you got to get it stronger. Um, and yeah, that's a, the way that I've been looking at things for a really long time and um, paid off with me, obviously. And, and now I can see a lot, especially since I've been putting all those workouts on YouTube, I get a lot of messages um, from Instagram, people going, wow, it's the first time I haven't been injured in like nine months because I've been doing four of your workouts a week. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not that complicated. We are designed to move and run and we shouldn't not be getting injured every three months. Um, you should be able to run, you know, as long as you're pretty sensible without any injuries, hopefully forever. So just that little commitment that that kind of required yeah, I completely agree with you. And, and I think the variety of exercise and movement that you show on those YouTube videos is, is excellent. And I've certainly given it to some patients along the way to have a look at. So thank you for the content there, mate. Sensational. Um, I just want to touch back on the, I guess, the North Face sponsorship stuff. Um, I've, I've heard you talk about your early career and a very specific plan to become a sponsored athlete. How achievable did this seem, you know, as a trail runner back in, say, 2013? 
I think the story that kind of stood out to me was um, Ryan Sands. Um, so he probably got his Salomon sponsorship, you know, a few years before I got my North Face sponsorship. And, you know, I, I guess I could kind of relate to his story starting, started to run a bit later in life and um, having that sponsorship. I knew that, you know, it wasn't going to be too easy because they don't hand them out and they still don't like, you know, and the amounts of sponsorships are pretty small. Um, I was pretty lucky to like actually get like, uh, you know, kind of a weekly wage, which is just enough to survive on. But that's probably more than some of the top Australian marathon runners right now, which is pretty sad um, that there's, you know, this kind of a sport has got a lot of attention and mass participation, but brands, you know, don't invest as much in, in their athletes. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty lucky to get that sponsorship. I think I was just in the right, right time, uh, like, you know, kind of the trail running boom in 2013 or 14, um, whenever I got that sponsorship, 2014. Um, you know, kind of, I guess maybe my knowledge in, in strength and stuff like that helped a little bit because, um, you know, I did get to like travel around Asia doing clinics um, for the North Face. Um, so, yeah, I think I was just kind of lucky um, I think me doing a little bit more social media at the start really helped as well. You know, even though I wasn't as good as some of the people that were winning UTMB, um, I'm sure that I had a better sponsorship than them um, just because of all the things on the side that I was able to give the brand and they saw the value in that. And, you know, my mentality was always like, give the brand more than what they kind of expect. And my contract got better and better with every year for like six years in a row um you know obviously things because of covid um you know stop that plan but yeah i think that it's not an easy kind of a gig but um you can definitely make it work um but it's not very common like it's not common at all no and, and i guess um you were quite an early adopter in terms of the social media presence and i'm sure that made made a difference on top of the amazing results um What's your take on, I guess, the rise of the, the Insta runner these days? Someone who's, you know, got their, their presence there, but not necessarily uh, performing in the same way that you were. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, we can sit here and say that it's not fair, but that's just the game. That's the way things are going to be. Like, it's not going to change. And there are Instagram runners today that have better sponsorships than people that do well in races. Maybe like, you know, not the not the guys and girls that win UTMB, but like the guys that like and girls that are like in the top ten, you know, will have pretty small sponsorships if if they would. Um, and some Instagram influencers could be making a lot more money. Um, so I guess it's just yeah, it's just knowing where the market is headed. And I think brands know that they get more value out of somebody posting seven times a week, and you know, creating some some kind of a connection with his audience compared to um you know somebody that does well in races and i think today athletes do see the value of social media and hopefully some of them you know are doing a bit more to um to grow their brand because that usually means a better sponsorship but then again you like you have athletes in australia a lot of runners in australia that could be doing a lot more and getting a lot more out of their contracts i think Hmm. um but they're still very focused on their own running which is also incredible because 
that means they're just true and they just love the sport and they don't really care too much about the outside of it. Um, but at my level, um, I knew that I needed to do the extra things because I knew that would be hard for me to win a UTMB. Um, so I needed to make sure that I do stay in line with staying on that sponsorship um, deal. I needed to do those extra things. I needed to go to Singapore and do a clinic. I needed to go to Malaysia and Indonesia to do running clinics um, where the guy that wins UTMB probably doesn't have to do all those things to, to keep his sponsorship. Um, but yeah, that was just where I was at and, you know, kind of being true to myself and knowing that it has to be done if you want to continue this, if not, you know, go and find a job, you know, go and become a waiter again. Um, yeah. no, no way to be, mate. No way to be. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a good segue for me to throw to my shameless sponsor, Sean down at Renoa, to uh, have a quick chat about the, the Salomon Ultra Glide. Back in a sec. Okay. Back down here in sunny Cronulla with Sean, the godfather Tyndale. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Good, Paul. It's um, We're back. We're back. It's great to remove the table and uh, have people come in. Yeah. Nice to be face-to-face. Yeah. Sounding pretty good with our masks on, too. We, we did. Yes, we did. <laughs> but no, it's uh, it's been, yeah, a challenging, as everyone has faced, mm-hmm. Uh couple of months people but, are coming um, back though yeah. people are coming back but people we jen and i were blown away by the support we mm. had through click and collect through home deliveries through online sales yeah uh, it just we were blown away it kept oh, us man. through and it's great to see a lot of our local customers getting in t- contact and uh Still being able to supply them with shoes to yeah. keep moving. Um, yeah. Well, mate, you guys have supported them for a long time, and I'm sure they're happy to return the favour. Yeah. And it's a good community for sure. It is, so. mate, and, and you see that in times like this. And yeah. um, we're very fortunate to be in hmm. have a, a store that um, you know when gyms closed, um, a lot of people they could still exercise outdoors, yeah. meaning walking, running. So yeah. it's sort of kept us uh, chugging along. Just between you and me, I'm glad that they've gone back to the gyms now, though, because I've got the trails to myself, yeah. which is nice. <laughs> yes, a few feedbacks. It was a bit, bit busy out there. She was busy, that's for Share, sure. Sharing with uh, mountain bikes and everyone. A lot of dogs, everyone. A lot of dogs. A lot of dogs. Yes. <laughs> bit, bit scared bit of the dogs. Yeah. yeah. The florist didn't love it at all. <laughs> um, anyway, we're here to chat about the Salomon Ultra Glide, which is a little bit of a, a, a new shoe in the Salomon range. They've, uh, they, they've, they've gone outside the square in this one, mate. It has, yeah. They've they've sort of flown into that max cushioning, which they've never done before, mm-hmm. um, category. Um, stack height is thirty two twenty six, which is quite high for a Solomon shoe. Um, it's still it's two hundred sixty grams. Yeah, it's uh, it's on a six mil drop, um, which is still you know that quite... that's about the same as the Sense Ride, about a six yes. mil drop. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. but more so, stack height. More stack height. Yep. yep. Yep, so a lot more cushioning. Mm-hmm. So they've gone into that max cushioning category where this shoe is designed for long runs. Your long runs um, and to give you that just that cushioning and that, that mm-hmm. comfort um, as you get further and further into, into your runs, mm-hmm. um, just to protect the feet, give you, a, you know, shock absorption. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, which, and reviews have been, been great. Yeah. Um, which is good. Um, to hear because it, it's it, it's similar to that sense ride, but just a lot more cushioning. Yep, mate. It, it felt like uh, my old Salomon sense ride 
had made a baby with my old Asics Glide Ride. Yes. And it's the perfect combination, yeah. mate. So I, I've been loving them. Yeah, the, well, the midsole is this lightweight, responsive foam. They combine sort of an EVA and uh, another foam that's just long-lasting cushioning. It's got good energy bounce and return. Um, and straight out of the box. Hmm. That's the feedback being. It's been, as soon as you put it on your feet, straight up, people have been running 15, 20 Ks, and it's just, just loving it. Yeah. It's been really positive. Um, yeah, and the, as I said, the stack height's quite large compared to other shoes in their range, mm. so they've gone outside that square, and um, yeah, it's sta- the uh, toe box is a little bit wider too, um, which feedback has been really good because it's it's sort of if you've got a narrow foot, um, most Solomon shoes. Basically, or if you've got a wide foot, sorry, um, you can't go into it. Um, yeah, yeah, it yeah, feels okay. like it's really hugging the shoe, yep. where this is a little bit more generous through the toe box, so it's it's appealing to that that wider range of foot foot type yeah, yeah. in a way. So, um, yeah. And as you say before, as the foot swells on the longer run, it's on the accommodating runs, that quite yeah, well. Yeah, um, but you've still got that um, upper um, stitchless upper, yep. um, which is nice, gives you that sock type feel um, with a generous amount of heat weld going around for toe protection, yep. um, which is good against rocks and sticks. Mm. And uh, nice Solomon's quick lace system. Yeah, usual um, suspects there. Love. Yep, yep. Um, it stayed the same with your little garage where you tuck it up under into the tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice breathe, breathable upper as well. So yeah, it's yeah. it's just been, it's it's, a really really positive shoe at this stage so mm. hopefully as they bring out more it's only going to get better yeah mate I, I was really impressed straight out of the box like you say like i reckon my first run in them was a 30k trail run yeah um and, and i've done almost exclusively for the last couple of months my long trail run in these guys and i, I really enjoy the rocker stuff like yes. salmon have typically not done that They've at never all done in a that. shoe so they and, call it like a bit of a reverse camber where it's it's got that little bit of a rocker yeah uh it's not it's, it's it's not um oh, what do i say it's not as predominant as the, the hawkers yeah yeah but as you said you've felt it it's noticeable yeah De- definitely definitely it gets you up on your toes and particularly when you're getting a bit of fatigue there I, I think it pushes you into that more efficient stride pattern yeah quite well i've done a couple of sessions one with the great scotty richmond where we ran 20ks on the trail just sort of nice and cruisy and then hit a pretty hard sort of 10k on the road afterwards and it performed really well on that mixed sort of terrain yeah. environment and definitely feel like you were turning over and getting up on the toes for the faster stuff towards the end. So yeah. I think in terms of a, a race shoe for an ultra marathon, it's perfect. You know, yeah. it, it's like you say, nice and light, um, but there's still plenty to it. Like, you know, plenty of cushioning, plenty of uh, support there. Uh, mate, I was really happy. Yeah. And very durable, yeah. I mean, the, the Conti Grip outsoles for Solomons are just second to none yep. they just last and last and last yep. um so for solomon wearers yep. i think for doing long runs ultras mate they've final, finally yeah found a shoe yeah yeah, or, yeah or made a shoe for that 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 category yeah and i guess that's always been the tricky thing with with solomon is they they have been uh, pretty light on underneath there yes. uh, more of that sort of ground feel kind of scenario but you know, I, I think for the majority of people running an ultra marathon in australia particularly you're going to want that little bit of cushioning there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and especially in the, the back 
back end of these things, you don't want to be too beaten up. And no. I, I really don't think you will be wearing these shoes. No. So yeah, I'd be happy to wear them for a, you know 50k, 100k sort of stuff for sure. And they're definitely not too heavy to take to race day, in my opinion. Yeah, so, no, yeah. it's perfect. No, mate, I'll stoke with them. So yeah, roll on the Ultra Glide. See yeah. a lot more of it. Yeah, bloody oath. Yeah. What's uh, what's coming up in the shop leading up to Christmas, mate? We're hoping we're going to try and get a social run in. Yep. Good. With the uh, podcast members. Yeah. Maybe a Christmas. few uh, Cronulla Beerco, Easy Tigers potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. For Unreal. sure. Yeah. It's a match made it, yeah. in heaven. I have. It's they got Very it down nice. at my uh, my local down at Grays Point actually. Yeah. So yeah, I had. Had more than a couple on Sunday afternoon. It's a very easy, very easy drink. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I was stoked when they dropped a, yeah. a case off at home Little one Friday afternoon. Oh, Beer fairy. Good, good man, good yeah, he is. yeah, very good. Uh, mate, that sounds good. We'll uh, we'll get that rolling for sure. And we'll uh, yeah. put put it out over the next couple of weeks. And... We will, and yeah, we're good to just finally catch up with everyone and yeah. see what's going on and what events they're entered and... Or just, getting cancelled. Or, or getting cancelled, yes. True. <laughs> uh, they'll be back again. Yes. Never fear. Never fear. All right, well, looking forward to that, mate. Thanks for uh, the shoe review as always, mate. Thank you. It's a ripper. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, mate. Okay, and we're back. And so uh, you, you've got uh, a new product, well, not a new product, but a, a product that you, uh, you, you're pushing now. You manage your very own hydration brand, Bix Hydration. Uh, developed the formula to deal with the hot and humid conditions in Hong Kong, I think originally, and Perth, obviously. Uh, what, what sets Bix apart from sort of the other hydration formulas out there? I think just a little bit more value in, in the product. Um, I think Bix was like designed to be like a daily recovery um, supplement. So obviously, you know, you have your long run and hard session recovery, which could be a protein drink with some electrolytes. Um, but what I always wanted to do is, um, as a runner is to have a bit more magnesium, a bit more zinc, a bit more vitamin C, um, straight after my runs. Cause you know, living in a hot country training every single day, twice a day means that I needed to replace those things very quickly. And that's where the idea of Bix came because I used to get like a magnesium tablet and a zinc tablet and an electrolyte tablet and like put them all in one glass where I just wanted it to be all in one in one glass and plus i didn't like that taste of most um hydration tablets um you know very chemically taste so yeah me and my wife spent about two and a half years developing um this little tablet um we started the company with no investors it was just us and the money that i saved from coaching um from the five years before and it wasn't cheap like because it was something that was never done before in in a, in a tablet form in a hydration tablet form um so yeah we kind of got that of the ground one month um, before COVID started. Um, so we launched January and I guess COVID hit in, in February. So yeah, it's been, it's been a challenge as well, but um, it's been a fun challenge to kind of learn and develop slowly. I guess that kind of allowed us to really grow slowly. Mm. Um, but yeah, definitely a lot of challenges with starting a company one month before COVID. <laughs> Mate, uh, we, we, we set up an altitude chamber at our clinic about a month before COVID as well. So I feel your pain there, mate. <laughs> um, we've got, as a 34, 35-year-old man, you're still pretty young in terms of, uh, I guess, running years. Do, do you think this sort of helps in terms of your injury preve prevention and resilience? I think a lot of little things 
um, help. And I think that's where you want to be focused on focusing on is those little one percenters. Is Bigs going to make you a better runner? Probably not. But is they going to improve your recovery by one or two percent if you do have a daily? Maybe because you have a little bit more zinc, a little bit more magnesium, you consume the electrolytes a little bit quicker, you know, your body can bounce back a little bit quicker. And I think that that's always been my mindset that is those little things that you do every single day and they add up to something a lot greater down the road. Um, you know, it's same as running. Like it's not one great session that you need to do to be a good marathon runner is doing good sessions on a regular basis. Um, so I think that's with a lot of things in life. And I guess kind of the idea of BICS of being a daily recovery supplement kind of fits in um, my mentality. And that's why, you know, I was kind of pushing to, to start this company. Um, even though like, you know, now we're kind of going to branch into a normal electrolyte tablet. Um, so that's, that's going to be launching in the next few weeks only because I felt like, you know, whatever's on the market there could be improved a little bit on taste. Um, so we kind of work a lot of with like beetroot juice, um, beetroot powder, carrot powder, just to kind of take away that chemical taste that I feel some of the brands have. Um, so yeah, kind of trust trying to improve a tiny bit of whatever's already on the market. Um, oh, mate. That's exciting. Very good. We'll have yeah. to keep our eyes out over on the East coast, mate. Um, I'd like to quickly touch on your brief triathlon career, if you don't mind. Um, so you're in a fairly unique position to judge based on your wealth of racing history. Uh, what would you find more daunting, standing on the start line of a 100K trail ultra or the start line of an Ironman event? Uh, I've only done half Ironman, so I guess Ironman would be a bit tough. I think like I've done six half Ironmans and because the swim was always first and I knew I wasn't a great swimmer, I was okay with it. So I was like, all right, well, I'm not such a great swimmer. I'm not too worried about it. Uh, where running the expectations were a lot higher from myself straight from the first race. Um, so definitely, you know, a little bit tougher in that sense. Um, but yeah, triathlons are tough. Like, you know, the amount of training you got to put in is a little bit, I think, harder than trail, run trail running and ultra running in many ways, um, just because of the sheer amount of numbers you got to put in every single week hmm. to do well in the sport. Yeah, no, it sounds like too much hard work to me. Um, yeah, you, you've on that sort of wealth of racing, you, you've run everything from vertical K events and stair races all the way through the 250K stage race in the desert. What, what's the sort of distance and terrain that suits your body the best, in your opinion? Definitely trail running, like not crazy amount of elevation. Um, definitely kind of like a mixture between runnable trails. I guess the stuff that we have in Australia, maybe a tiny bit more elevation. Um, yeah, I think, I don't think I'm naturally designed to run super quick on the roads. Um, you know, I, I got pretty close to going under 15 minutes for the 5K in this year of road running, but that's still very far away from, you know, some of the elites um, in road and track running. So, yeah, I think definitely kind of trail running around 50 to 70K, I would say that would be kind of my sweet spot i'm not too bad at actually climbing like i think that my strength is in climbing when i'm fit um but yeah i think now kind of going forward i'll try and and do a little bit more races that i enjoy um and that'll be definitely around the trail running i guess 30 to 70k mark okay maybe the six foot track over here in sydney mate 
Yeah, definitely. I've, you know, that's definitely, that's been on my list for a long time. I just, yeah, trying to make sure that I have enough time to get ready for it because it is pretty competitive. Just, just let us know. I want to come and see that day, mate. That'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, um, you, you've spoken about potentially not being mentally strong enough to make it as a junior tennis player um, back in the day anyway. And, and now it can't have happened very often, but has your mental game ever let you down out there in a big trail race? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think a few times, pretty much every time I DNF'd. Um, I mean, I think that like, you know, stomach issues can be caused from like overthinking and over putting pressure on yourself. Um, so that's definitely happened a few times where I was expecting to really do well in a race or like, you know, you know, I was hoping to do well at, at, at this race and somehow my stomach wasn't a hundred percent right. And I do believe that that comes from, you know, maybe over pressuring yourself, maybe overthinking it, maybe being a bit too nervous, not being able to relax. And that kind of affects your digestion somehow. Um, I definitely think that in that sense, um, you know, that's affected me. And I think few people would agree that would listen to this and know that, you know, they would never have any stomach issues except suddenly on a key race, you know, that they were really waiting for. And um, obviously you can try different things, but like, yeah, I feel like that happened to me a few times. Um, yeah. I, otherwise like running, the good thing about running is, you know, it's a pretty simple sport, like just make it from point A to point B. Um, and that's actually an easy strength, mental thing for me. Like, all right, well, just make it to the finish line. Um, so, yeah, in that sense, I think that, you know, I was pretty lucky um, with the basic strength mentality. Where tennis, like, because of the start and finish kind of mentality of the sport, there's a lot of time for your mind to go to different places where running there isn't because there is the time is still ticking, right? Um, so, yeah, in that sense, they are different. And I guess mentally it's a little bit easier um, for me to do running for sure. You make it sound so simple, Vlad. Just get from A to B as fast as you can. Fast as you can, yeah. How can you bugger that up, hey? (laughs) Based on your social media, there's there's always a joke to be had or a smile on your face. What about when you toe the start line? Do we see a different side of you or is it all business on race day? I think now that um, my life is not really dependent on my racing, um, I definitely kind of change, you know, as my social media definitely changed as well um, since I lost my sponsorship is that I'm a little bit more flexible. And I would like to say that I'm pretty like, you know, I got a pretty developed sense of humor and now I can show it a little bit more because I'm not worried about what North Face is thinking um, about my social media accounts. And because I know that they will go through it every single month and look at numbers. And uh, that's that's actually happens in those big brands. And now knowing that nobody looks at it, like I can just be myself. Um, and I think also with racing, like, you know, I've done, I've done like three marathons in like three weeks here in Perth, just for fun, like with my GoPro and, you know, I just run like four minute pace and just enjoy it and high five people and smile at people. And I'm just editing the Perth marathon that I did like a week, two weeks ago. And, you know, I'm just looking at the part of, you know, running past maybe like 300 people with my GoPro and everybody is just smiling and saying hello and, and kind of cheering on. And I never had that feeling before because I'll go to races. I would look one meter in front of me 
And I would just concentrate on that and I would work as hard as I can to do as well as I can in the race. When now I have the flexibility to, well, flexibility, I have the choice now to enjoy some races. And even in South Australia, I ran there with a GoPro and um, I just had so much fun where before, you know, racing was a little bit more competitive, a little bit different mentality. But yeah, I enjoy now sleeping better before a race because I put less pressure on myself because, well, if I have a bad day, it's a bad day and there'll be another race. Nobody's not going to count my starts uh, for the year and how many races I've won for the year, um, which is kind of a nice feeling to have. I definitely enjoy being competitive and there'll be a few races a year that I would um, try and be competitive at and I'm not going to bring the GoPro with me. Um, but then I also enjoy kind of you know, enjoying the, the races themselves now, which is yeah. fun. Oh, mate, it's a nice change of gears, but uh, you, yeah. you, you've still yeah. got that pretty high gear there, that's for sure. Um, I want to draw your attention to just the one race result, and this is a little bit of a piss take on a couple of our previous guests, John O'Loughlin and Brendan Davies, but the World Trail Championships 2016 in Portugal, the three of you boys were there. And I've spoken to John O and Brendan about this day and they assure me that it was the hardest race of their lives and the conditions were atrocious. They're both coming in 12 hours and you've come in in nine and a half hours. What happened on that day? I didn't have a great day as well. It was super hot. It was really, really hot. I remember like struggling, stopping at rivers and creeks to cool down. Um, yeah, I think it's just, I guess, with the heat and that humidity kind of maybe worked to my favor because I lived in Hong Kong um, and it's pretty humid in Hong Kong. Um, and then again, yeah, it was my first time kind of representing Australia, which was incredible because this country has given me so much that it was, yeah, I was just honored to wear an Australian um, singlet in that race. Um, but yeah, that was a fun event and I'll definitely, I'll never forget that race. Um, so yeah, I think they both just had a really bad day and I was just lucky to have a better day on that day, but they're both incredible runners and, um, yeah, they obviously have some really good results to show as well. They do. No, I'm just, I'm just taking the piss. <laughs> Very good runners. Did, did you, did you manage to share a cold VB with him at the end of that one? With John, I did. Yeah, we went out, we went out, um, we went out that night after that. Um, yeah, he definitely likes to drink. <laughs> um, I can't take it easy. I had maybe one or two beers and I actually went back to, to my hotel and he stayed up for a couple more hours by himself, uh, just drinking with the locals. But yeah, I kind of changed my mind. So, you know, for me, um, you know, I didn't have that desire to go out because I did all of that when I was really young, yeah. um, which was nice. It was nice to say no and kind of say, no, I really feel like going back and having a good night's sleep. He definitely plays both ends of the court pretty well, big Jono, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Mate, um, you, you've seen me racing, I guess, far more shorter races over the past couple of years. Is this just a lack of opportunity due to COVID or has the drive to race those 100K plus races dropped a little? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, it's kind of like, you know, when you do those long races, it takes longer to build up to them. The recovery is a bit longer. Um, so in my head, I was like, all right, well, I can do 100K race so I can do seven or eight smaller races. And usually the choice of going, you know, for eight or seven smaller races kind of wins because I know if I have a bad day in that one race, you know, that's eight weeks of no racing. You know, I don't want to take that chance because I got to keep my sponsors happy. Um, 
So yeah, I think that that definitely kind of played a big role. Now, definitely kind of looking into the future, I definitely want to do some hundred mile races, Mm. um, you know, hopefully in the next few years and take some time to build up to them and then take some real time to actually recover from them. But yeah, I think that that'll be in the next two years um, that I'll look into that. But yeah, I definitely miss the long races because I haven't done a 100K race in yeah, a good five years now. So yeah, it's about time to get back into it now that I'm a little bit more flexible about my training and racing schedule. Yeah, mate, I'm excited to see. Yeah, a big, big step up there. It'll be good and good to watch. Um, so, mate, a, a huge chunk of your success has been forged in Asia and Europe, as we discussed earlier. And, and you're truly a, a pioneer in terms of Aussie trail runners on the international scene. Do you, do you think you make more racing down under a, a priority in the future or are your sights still set on the big overseas events? Oh, definitely, definitely around Australia a bit more. I think now with the family and the business, I just can't, I just can't travel as much anymore. And I guess that's the positive thing about COVID is that I was able to spend some more time with my family where for the last five years, I would literally travel somewhere every two weeks. Um, so it was nice not to travel for two years. I definitely miss the travel, but I also know that I can't do as much anymore. So shorter trips to to the East Coast will definitely be um on the cards rather than longer trips to asia or europe um but yeah i mean after that race in south australia like you know that kind of opened up the appetite to do some more races around australia because there are some beautiful trails here um and beautiful beautiful locations and even the races are not as big and there isn't like two thousand runners in them they're still like very fun races to do and um I think back then I was just thinking about, oh, well, where I'm going to get the most value out of racing. And that was Asia because there'll be more eyes on the race because there'll be more participants, there'll be more sponsors. So that made a bit more sense back then. But now that I, yeah, as I said, I'm racing for myself now, um, I can actually, you know, do some smaller races, um, travel to places that I've never been to um, around Australia. So, yeah, I'm definitely excited about that. Oh, mate, I'm looking forward to seeing you over here on the East Coast at some point. Um, yeah, well, look, th- thank you very much for your time today, Vlad. It's been really great to get to know your story, and it's, it, it is a great story. Um, h- how is it best for people to, I guess, get in contact with you regarding the Bix Hydration and to follow your, uh, I guess, strength routines and content? Yeah, I think Instagram is, is pretty easy. I do my best to reply to um, most DMs. Um, you know, a few years ago, I sent um, Dean Karnazes a message when I just started running. I sent him an email and he replied to me and I could not believe they replied to me. And, and uh, you know, kind of him doing that just meant that I do my best now to reply to as many messages as I can. Um, but yeah, DMs on, on Instagram and YouTube is definitely something I'm going to be doing a little bit more of. Uh, that trip to South Australia, um, I don't want to ruin it, but I, I, there is a bit of surprise in that trip. Um, and something that I don't think anybody has ever done before. Um, so it's a pretty interesting story about, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ruin the surprise, but it is pretty interesting. I might tell you off air, but yeah, it's a pretty interesting story. That's going to be a video probably in the 10 days. Okay. Oh, mate, we'll keep our eyes peeled. That's, that's great. Yeah. And mate, I really appreciate you replying to my Instagram message, mate. Thank you very much. Uh, no, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to chat to you, Vlad, and uh, you'll catch up for a run at some stage down the, down the, the path.
Absolutely. Thank you for having me. No worries. Thanks, bud. Cheers, mate.